Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello, my name is Thibaut Muzerg. I am a Europe and Euromed program director at the International Republican Institute and author of Europe Champ Bataille. And uh, I recommend Visegrad Inside. Hello there. Nice of you to join us again on the Visegrad Insight podcast. Uh, my name is Quincy Klut, managing editor of Visegrad Insight. Next to me is Wojciech Przybylski. So it's the 1st of June uh, 2021. It's a new month. Uh, as you may have seen already on the website, there is also a new monthly foresight you can have a look at. Um, but before we dig into some serious subjects in the second half of this episode, um, Wojciech, maybe let's have a look at uh, some recent developments uh, again for, for Central Europe. Um, the first thing maybe uh, I've noticed and which really strikes me is how uh, two prime ministers at the moment are at risk uh, of, of, well, criminal liability, let's say. In Czechia, uh, the police recommends uh, Andrzej Babi's um, Andrzej Babiš to um, face uh, criminal charges over his misuse of EU funds. Um, and in Poland last week, there was also quite uh, something to do about, uh, well, the Polish Court of Auditors looking into the um, the election that didn't happen last year in May 2020, the presidential election, and the prime minister's uh, role there um, in, in, well, uh, trying to organize something which went beyond legal bounds. These are both two serious cases. Whether something will happen uh, is yet to be seen, but uh, how, how significant do you think it is, uh, two prime ministers uh, coming under scrutiny around the same time? Well, I could I could start on the note that, well, there used to be the times where, when even an uh, alleged um, criminal case um, investigation would, um, would uh, immediately trigger um, a resignation from a senior politician, but times time flies and times have changed. We we have seen that it takes uh, really a political election sometimes for such politicians to step down. And here I refer more to Israel rather than Central Europe. Mm -hmm. But but yes, uh, in in these two cases are uh, unrelated to one another, but they are coming in with news at the same moment. The Polish uh, Supreme Audit Office, uh, the, the, the institution that is uh, constitutionally um, uh, independent of the government and uh, is auditing how money um, were spent, were procedure kept, uh, has very strong powers on, on recommending, on building up cases that are later um, uh, the basis of a prosecutor investigation um, against uh, people in the administration, ministers, prime minister in this case. So this is not a light uh, affair. Well, in any case, that wouldn't be. But in, it's even more serious because it's from an institution that is a constitutional, constitutionally appointed uh, director there. And... Um, and the investigation carried out by the independent commission within this institution, within the audit office, um, recommended that prime minister and two ministers and the chief of staff of the prime minister are uh, are brought under um, criminal investigation by, by the prosecutor's office. Um, 
they are on the they are supposedly to be on the charges or the investigation is going to be about the ballots that uh, the, the organizations of the ballots of the elections last year which um, which didn't go as planned and on one hand you can say well that was pandemic but there was much more than them, than just pandemic into into polish elections and the prime minister uh, obeyed the decision of mr kaczynski chairman of the party and together with other ministers, they decided they will trick the system, the legal system, and uh, and organize and, and and commission printout of the of the uh, voting cards, for instance, and prepare a lot of a lot of these procedures they they normally would be commissioned to do, but these were not normal. This was not a normal situation, and they were they were acting outside of the legal boundaries, and they are serious. Um, serious accusations from both journalists and also politicians on the opposition uh, hinting to uh, you know non-transparent use of the resources they were at the uh, that were at the disposal and that's that's serious these are dozens of euros dozens of millions of euros that were spent on the preparations of the election that didn't take place in a stipulated time and then they were postponed and organized only later uh, in a more nor, uh, more regular way, you would say. So that's the case of Poland. A bit bit long. It takes a bit longer to unpack. And I think just one last point I'd like to um, mention is that the prosecutor office is in the hands of the coalition partner, junior coalition partner, Mr. Jobro, who is known not to be friends with Mr. Morawiecki. He is actually a, a strategic competitor for Mr. Morawiecki for the leadership of the of the camp. Now, Mr. Jobro, on one hand, may do everything that is possible to harm Mr. Morawiecki, but on the other hand, he would not risk the coalition at this point, it seems, to actually pursue the investigation. And um, in my opinion, this will be just slow down, you know, mold in in the in the back offices of the prosecutors, uh, uh, in the prosecutors' offices, at least until the court. Uh, would give a decision to start an investigation. So we may also see an investigation that is starting and is everlasting and never concluding. So we'll see about uh, how this develops, but that's definitely a very serious development and something not, not to be treated lightly and potentially with long-term uh, consequences, again, for Poland. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, as you pointed out, it is somewhat of a different case in comparison to Czechia, where where a lot of it uh, is around uh, Andrzej Babic, essentially his his business interests, and then in particular Stork's Nest, uh, for which he received uh, European funds in a way, in trying to to um, to claim that Stork's Nest was uh, something of a smaller medium enterprise, uh, which, uh, as it appears, uh, wasn't really the case. Um, slightly different uh, case. And also, I think it's worth stressing here that, uh, yeah, the role of prosecutors will be very important also in the, the Czech Republic. Um, but there is an additional complexity uh, due to the fact that, uh, well, the European Prosecutor's Office, which has recently come into uh, being and is now headed by uh, Laura Kovesi is also going to keep a close eye on Czechia because Czechia is one of the 22 countries that has signed up uh, for this uh, European Prosecutor's Office. 
I want to add here that Poland did not, also Hungary didn't. Um, but it will be interesting to see how proactive also this European level uh, of prosecutors will be, especially since we've seen already last week there was already um, reporting about uh, Kovesi looking into Slovenia, uh, also um, over alleged uh, corruption and, and misspending of funds. So she definitely, I guess, wants to take up a couple of um, uh, more serious cases in, in the nearby future, and perhaps this uh, Czech case involving Andrei Babish could be could be one of them. Um, but yes, this was definitely not the only thing that happened uh, in in uh, Central European politics this week. Uh, there were also well some some interesting meetings happening last week, and a potential new. Uh, European political family. What happened there, Wojciech? Yeah, but, but before you, before we touch upon this, I just wanted to add that um, we also don't know what will happen in Czechia when when I'm, when we talked about Poland. The prosecutor office uh, might not be at free hand, you know, kind of you know following the uh, the documentation, the evidence, and the and the rule of law in in performing their duties. There are also very strong political pressures. As much as in Poland um, and in, in Czechia, the, there was a prosecutor general resigning because of the pressure from the, the political pressure coming from the government, from the ministry, uh, Ministry of Justice. So, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that even though these cases are disconnected, there are certain patterns that, well, we broadly understand as democratic backsliding, some call it illiberalism, that, that are taking place. And then there, are the, there is the big meeting of illiberals last, last Friday in Warsaw. Uh, kind of surprising uh, to see that they're still trying, in my opinion, they're still trying to form a coalition, a, a, a political family. It's not an easy thing to do, especially midway. Uh, they're, they're yet trying, Salvini, Orban, who now are excluded, they're trying to bring this identitarian voices. So the, the group is going to, the, the, there is a declaration that they want to form a new group, which is uh, identity and uh, what is it? Uh, identity and conservatism, or something like that. The 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 perspective of that group um, is to be against uh, European Union institutions. I guess it is to say that we are against mainstream in many ways, and and for that it's going to be most likely a destructive force, uh, trying to unite on a ticket, uh, you know, and to block. Um, to block um, uh, political decisions within the parliament, but more importantly, to to unite ahead of the upcoming elections, uh, after elections in Germany, after elections in France, after elections in Czechia, October this mm. year, and many other elections. There, there will be already time, a, a small window, uh, preparing for the elections to next round to the European Parliament and new. And then new European Commission as well, and I think this is the the long term plan, and that keeps them determined. And paradoxically, as I wrote in in my piece for Politico and then also for Visegrad Inside X, it's more elaborate. Uh, the argument goes that the, the the conference on the future of Europe actually provides them an opportunity, a window of uh, of opportunity to be to be speaking out on on the question of how the Europe should. Uh, move uh, forward or backwards, uh, back to you know conservatism and identities, national identities, or something else. And I think this is this is uh, a development that to be 
continuously to be watched for, I still don't have much hopes for them uh, to to get a one platform. But mm. um, it can happen. What do you think? Well, I think there's uh, there's always the question of uh, how much uh, unites them and how much divides them. And uh, I think in particular to, to some foreign policy questions, um, there are some tough di- discussions to be had, whether it concerns uh, Russia, but also simply priorities. I mean, I think the outlook for, for Salvini and the League um, being being in Italy, being confronted with sort of Mediterranean security is very different from from Poland uh, being, being on the east of the European Union. That is one thing. It is going to be interesting to see potentially how they will also try to claim the issue of religion and Christianity in particular. Um, and this is is also something um, we uh, we have this week on Visegrad Insight. Um, Yuji Snyder touching upon the issue of of religion uh, once again in the contribution, but now particularly the question of why Christian demo- democracy didn't really take off in in Central Europe and how religion is also pretty much used by 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 nationalists. It's in a way hijacked. Uh, by them uh, and where are the moderates uh, mm-hmm. in a way and I think that is also an interesting question which ties into to this sort of identity conservatism um, they they proclaim yeah there is a, there is a lot of uh, this idea of uh, you know a vacuum that is being uh, uh, filled by the groups like PIS when um, the society is living, at least in Poland, a, a very interesting and very dynamic moment of, uh, one could say, secularization, but on the other hand, you would say disenfranchisement from uh, from the church, from the, Catholic, from the official institutions of the church, because people are not becoming less religious or attached to traditions and religions, but at the same time, they they see certain weakness of the institution. At the same time, the, there is a pol- political capital being built on uh, by by the far right. Um, on the other hand, we also see how um, how otherwise moderates or centrists or progressives are very. Um, very much, you know, abandoning the very idea that religion is even important or should be this this medium level uh, sphere of autonomy that shouldn't be touched by politics. There seems to be a new political force in Poland with Szymon Hołownia who tries to play on these tones. We'll see if that is successful. On um, and on on in the case of other countries, it's strange. It's as you. As you pointed out, geopolitics may play a role, but of course there are also other uh, parties in the European Parliament from from Italy that you know that they they have different optics on on the political geography and and also the the perception of security and threats, and still they are part of bigger groupings that also Polish parties are part of. So I, I think you can mitigate certain risks there. The biggest risk is not Salvini, to my mind. It's much more about uh, Marine Le Pen and the campaign in France, where we hear more and more voices um, that basically go behind Vladimir Putin as an ideological project, also as a as someone who speaks the you know to uh, to the to the same constituency across the board yeah. across Europe, and that's something to be worried about um, because that. Um, while it is considered and still is not so influential in in many current countries around Europe, it is something uh, giving me goosebumps for sure. When it comes to to Central Europe, where build where where certain uh, 
<laughs> there were certain red lines we, we thought that would be never crossed. Uh, and no major political party in Poland was ever suspected of um, aligning with the political lines or ideological lines of, of, of Kremlin um in you know since 1989 at least but now we might uh, we might see a, an open flirt because there were there were very good there were very good reports earlier uh, high t hinting to that but but now um yeah it might be in the spotlight so uh definitely thing to watch watch for we, we don't we'll bring you more updates uh, later on but at this stage i think that's all we can say Have a look at the website visegradinside.eu for the latest opinion and analysis, including the monthly foresight for June, which is covering uh, some of the upcoming uh, summits taking place, also the Joe Biden visit to Europe and what implications that might have for security. We also have a great piece by uh, Alex Kazarski looking at um, Viktor Orban's geopolitics of Central Europe and particularly through the lens of Slovak-Hungarian relations, how Orban is also playing on the Hungarian diaspora in that country. And then, as we said in the first uh, part of the episode, also a very good article by Jiži Schneider on religion in Central Europe. And now we're moving to our second part, where we host Tibo Mezerk, a fellow podcaster from Think Atlantic podcast and Europe Program Director at the International Republican Institute. And now, let's listen to a conversation with Thibaut Mazurk, the Director of Europe's Program at the International Republican Institute and a fellow podcaster who is with us giving his feedback on the state of US-European relations ahead of Joe Biden's uh, visit and the state of Europe, um, which is in between peace and war, as he seems to claim in his upcoming book. Let me start off by asking you a first direct question. What do you expect of the upcoming trip of Joe Biden uh, to Europe? This is the first trip of the uh, president after uh, turbulent Uh, elections after a turbulent year of the pandemic, after quite a ride in terms of transatlantic relations in the last four years. Um, do you see that there is some breakthrough coming or same old, same old, and it's just uh, a diplomatic fog of war or, or, uh, or amplified, amb uh, um, amplified expectations that are driving current uh, coverage? There's a little of, bit of, of both. I mean, the, obviously the... Uh, the the outlook uh, of, of the of the Biden administration is, is much more the, the the Europeans are going to feel much more comfortable with it. Uh, you know, these talks about democracy and, and alliance of democracies uh, that's something with which uh, the EU uh, sits uh, much more comfortably rather than the the language of power that the Republicans talk and and, and the skepticism uh, that 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 the, the, the Trump administration in particular has towards uh, the, the, the European Union. So um, there will obviously be a, an atmosphere that will be much more uh, cordial, I would say, 
much more uh, uh, relaxed. Uh, but at the same time, the the, the, the problems that are at, at the origins of the 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 the, uh, the sort of malaise that we've seen evolve, which is which is actually a long malaise, right? It's it's something that that that, that started in uh, around 2000, uh, 2001 after the the Iraq War. If you if you remember in two thousand and one, Le Monde had put in its uh, as the title the the day after uh, the day after September eleventh, nous sommes tous américains. We are all Americans, and 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 very quickly after that, you started this unravel. The the two years later, you had uh, 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 Jürgen Habermas who, who wrote a book about about how you know the Americans had uh, treason, the ideas of the West, and uh, uh, Robert Kagan uh, in 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 you know, Paradise and Power uh, said said basically the same thing, but from an American perspective that that that. that 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 uh, uh, Europe and, and the U.S. Were, were sort of parting ways, and, and we've never really uh, uh, went out of this sort of idea that that the, that 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 the West was divided, that there was America going its way and and, and Europe going its own way, and. You know, we, we are seeing after the, the, the Trump administration, uh, uh, in which you know this idea was was not was not necessarily in majority within the administration, but but certainly shared by by by, by a number uh, of people in the Trump administration who saw uh, the you know uh, Europe as being decadent and not where America wanted to wanted to go. Uh, now we have a much more appeased. Atmosphere, but the problem once again is still there. There is still this idea that you know on, on the, the American side, you know the the, the decadent uh, Europe people who are uh, basically uh, on, on on America's tap when it comes to, to to their defense and who need to do more in terms of burden sharing. So that's on the one hand, and on, on the other hand, uh, the idea that Europeans have of America being, you know, only interested in power and not interested in the right thing to do, uh, sort of betrayer of, of the idea of the, the, the Kantian idea of the West, which we, we you know, we're, we're seeing again, uh, we've seen again recently with the, uh, with the talks about espionage, uh, of, you know, the Americans spying on their, on, on their allies. So, uh, you know, this idea of the, this divide between the, you know, the, 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 the Europeans, uh, uh, who are not willing to spend on their defense, not wanting to, to, to do their fair share in the, uh, in, in the defense on the continent on the one hand and the, the American Americans who are not to be trusted on the other. This is something that that, that, that remains and that we need to, uh, some way that we need to resolve. The, I think the, the, the difference with the previous administration is that the, the Biden administration, uh, at, at least uh, on paper, wants to do something about it and realizes that there is a problem uh, and, that, and that something needs to be done, that the, the, the transatlantic relationship needs to be, uh, to be restarted. We'll have to see you know what the what the result is going to be. So uh, beyond the beyond the niceties and the the, the polite words, I, I think the, the the real issue here is is, is whether Europeans and, and Americans can come together on a new uh, agenda that that can define that that can be defining for uh, for, for for the world uh, an agenda that that probably would be uh, centered around uh, democracy, transparency, uh, and and uh, fighting back against uh, authoritarian uh, inroads.
Thank you, Thibault, for a very comprehensive approach and, and looking back also from a longer perspective than just the last two uh, or just this one and the previous administration. Indeed, there is a strategic dilemma, the strategic tension when it comes to burden sharing, but also the you know, a place in the world, so to say, and the type of partnership that is expected that is constantly being discussed. I hope that this is also moving forward. But now let me focus um, on a particular region of Central Eastern Europe, because as you've been mentioning democracy, uh, the, the question about Central Eastern Europe seems to be not resolved in any plans uh, so far when it comes to Biden's administration. We, um, we know that during the previous administration, the issues raised about the state of democracy, democratic backsliding, illiberal projects, state of media, rule of law, these were in a way downplayed by the administration. The expectation is that now there will be a, a pivot towards democratic security of Central Europe, but still nothing concrete. How do you think um, this relationship is going to look like and um, how important is the role of Central Europe? Maybe it is simply uh, declining in importance because of the internal conflicts also that, um, that split the region. No, I, I don't think the, the, the Central Europe is, uh, uh, is is growing lower on the priority list of the of the administration. I think it, it's actually quite the contrary. But there is, um, you know, it, it, we need to be uh, to understand that the uh, the objectives of the administration are to have a uh, a good relationship with uh, uh, with Central Europe, whoever is in power. Uh, but uh, obviously, the preference uh, largely goes to a democratic, transparent, uh, uh, you know, uh, countries uh, with elections, and and there is a willingness to help those who want to achieve those objectives. But at the end of the day, it is up to the peoples in Central Europe to decide who they want to be led by. And um, you know, I think there is also a, a very cautious. Uh, approach from the Biden administration for uh, very good reasons there, which is that things are moving in Central Europe. Things never cease to move, by the way, but uh, uh, things are moving. We're looking at uh, the, only this year, Bulgaria is, uh, there, there's a lot of interesting things that are happening in, in Bulgaria. Whatever whatever happens with the with, with uh, Boyko Borisov, uh, who had, has so far uh, led the uh, and dominated the uh, the, the political life in the in, in the country for, for for a decade, uh, we might see some changes in in the Czech Republic. Actually, it, it's it's quite likely that we are uh, going to see some changes changes in the Czech Republic. Um, I would say though that next year is probably going to be defining for the the, the, the future of the region uh, because of the elections in Hungary. Uh, Viktor Orban has uh, promoted himself as the sort of uh, a leader of a of a, a an illiberal. Uh, illiberal democracy, as he calls it, um, and and so far, what we've seen is that there, there's been a, a a double movement, right? There there have been uh, instances in which. Uh, uh, 
you know, part of countries or, 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 or places have been going more towards his model uh, or electing uh, people who are looking at his model of, of illiberal democracy as a, uh, or rather illiberalism, because it probably needs to be called uh, like that, as, as a sort of, of, of model. I'm thinking, for example, of Slovenia. Uh, of course, uh, a few years ago, uh, it was Poland. And on the other hand, if you look at what has happened recently, elections in Lithuania last year, uh, elections in Romania and the transformation of, of, of Romania uh, from a you know bad pupil of the uh, of European integration and, and and rule of law to to, to now being a, a rather you know a place where where things are are moving in the in the right direction. So you know things have been moving in in, in different directions in the past few years, and it seems that you know uh, Hungary at the end of the day is is where some not everything but some things uh, might be decided so uh, so i would say that that, that you know the, the fact that we are in a in a period in which you know things are things are, are moving but we don't necessarily know which direction uh, they are moving means that uh, the administration uh, and, and and pretty much everybody in Europe actually is very cautious about about the future and and, and we'll see uh, once the Hungarian people have uh, made their decision where uh, where Hungary uh, moves forward and 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 also where uh, parts of the other parts of the region are, are are going forward but it is certain that if next year uh the, the 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 competition between fides and and other parties uh turns out uh into a a moment in which uh, uh victor orban is no longer the prime minister around this time next year uh then that changes a lot of things in central europe and maybe it changes a lot of things in in the european union too Yes, you mentioned and you alluded to the elections uh, next year in Hungary. This year we also have elections in um, Czechia. But uh, from the point of view of future of Europe, uh, these elections are no less important than the upcoming German elections, uh, French elections next year. And with the cumulative moment on uh, with the conference on the future of Europe, which is in a way, um, Emmanuel Macron, uh, one of his uh, re-election platforms by design. I am thinking, um, you know, in in the light of of your reflections also on the condition of Europe and uh, the peace projects and uh, and the elements of uh, instability in Europe or around the U Europe or around the European Union. Uh, because you're an author of a freshly published or just to be published book, actually, on the 4th of June. I, I wanted to, you to, to reflect on that, on, you know, how much of this process of today reflecting or even fighting for a certain future of Europe uh, is going to be determined um, throughout this upcoming uh, two years both because of the electoral process and because of the election uh, and, and because of the conference uh, on the future of Europe itself. Uh, so first of all, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the elections in Germany and France, and, and, and it's clear that, you know, these two elections are going to be defining, I would say also, uh, you know, whether Mario Draghi stays on as uh, prime minister next year, or whether he moves to the presidency and what happens then in 2023 in the Italian uh, elections is also going to be uh, uh, determined. I mean, we're talking about the three countries, about three countries here that are making 55% of uh, the, the European Union's GDP, uh, which is which is in itself huge. Uh, now, there are, these are three very different countries that have very different agendas uh, that, that, that have 
shared uh, uh, shared objectives. Um, you know, the common uh, ideal of the the, the transatlantic relation, uh, European integration. Uh, so, if one or two or even three, but probably one or two of these countries go move into a very different direction, uh, as could very well be the case, uh, for example, in France next year, uh, then uh, the uh, the agenda for the European Union, but I would say also the geopolitical uh, face of, of, of Europe, the, the, the geopolitical conundrum of Europe, uh, may, be, may, may very well change uh, and, and probably not for the better. Uh, when it comes to the, the conference, I think, uh, the conference is, is, is you know, the, the way it was made and the fact that it's been two years in the making and that still two years in the making, there are still uh, bitter fights and, 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 and basically things, you know, moving forward more on paper than in reality is, is a, a, a symbol of how, how, ba- how bad things have, uh, have been for Europe over the past, I would say, the past decade since ever since, uh, probably ever since the, 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 the end of the, the, the constitution project, but, but more, most importantly, since 2008 and the, the, the financial crisis that has actually hit, uh, uh, Europe and the European Union much more, uh, than other, uh, other places in the world. Um, you know, I, personally, I, I'm not, I'm not looking at, uh, this conference with a lot of optimism. I don't think it will, uh, lead to, too much, uh, because there are, uh, a lot of conflicting uh, demands about about this conference, and a, a lot of actors, a lot of institutional actors, are trying to take the upper hand. Uh, but nevertheless, the work is is important because uh, the, there needs to be a, a sense of direction in Europe right now. I think the 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 it, not enough people have realized how much the European project had been stirred uh, over the past fifteen years by. The council uh, and how much of a uh, complete failure this has been. I mean, this has uh, helped uh, Angela Merkel or uh, some French presidents or other uh, prime ministers to uh, make themselves look like the heroes of uh, uh, of their of their nation, and uh, uh, you know, good for them. But the the, the reality is that Europe has um, you know has only uh, done the the, the the, 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 the great thing, which, was, which is already great, right, of, of, of surviving uh, a period of tur- turbulence. I mean, not, not every block survives a uh, period of turbulence, but, but the, the only, if I look at the past 15 years, the only, the only positive thing about Europe, at least until the, uh, the recovery plan, was uh, the fact that it, that it survived. And I think there needs to be, we, we are at a point in which Europe is, is waking up from the, the end of history. Uh, it is looking around and it's a very dangerous world out there. And if it continues the way it has gone for the past 15 years, uh, soon the European Union will look like the Polish Rzeczpospolita in the, uh, in the 17th, 18th century, basically a place that is, uh, completely uh, paralyzed by uh, unanimity in which nothing can get done and in which foreign actors uh, basically little by little uh, take over uh, the destinies of the uh, of the region and that would probably lead to war in the long term and that's the that's actually the the, the theme of my of my book which as you mentioned is coming out in French for the moment uh, on 4th of June and uh, I I hope to have it published by the end of the year in English so let's speak of uh, of your book indeed because um, 
you made actually very deep references in you know in the beginning to to the the European uh, and American transatlantic debates on where Europe is, and I <laughs> Europe seems to be an everlasting romance of a theme of a romance. Uh, Europe, Europe, champ de bataille, right? Uh, so the Europe as a battlefield. Mm -hmm. Battlefield this is Europe. going to be also English translation, Battlefield Europe, and uh, and with the subtitle hinting at the impossible war and improbable peace. I, I think because of your um, focus on on the whole European project and in particular knowledge on Central Eastern Europe, I think you should uh, <laughs> you should clearly explain now what should we be worried about uh, in Europe and in Central Europe in particular. Are there battles and wars coming? These are the new manifestations of power. What's uh, what's in your book? Well, well, first of all, war is not you know we, we should stop thinking of war the way the way we have done thus far. I mean, war is no longer Longer this sort of Clausewitzian affair in which you have tanks and and planes, uh, you know, moving over over battlefields. Actually, that that was a reality only, uh, you know, between uh, be, between 1914 or 1916 and and, and, and 19, uh, 1975. I mean, now uh, the, the the field the field of war has greatly expanded. Uh, you have war on the in the information sphere, uh, cyber warfare, in which basically you can uh, shut down a, a an electric grid in a country in the middle of winter uh, by simply thanks to bots and uh, uh, and, and, and phishing and, and and other devices that are that are all in the uh, in the cloud. Uh, war is also uh, waged economically. I mean through sanctions, and th those are those are all interlinked, right? And they're interlinked with with violence, with the violence that we're that we're used to know. And that violence is no longer uh, is no longer uh, worked out with uh, airplanes and armies and tanks. It's with drones. It's with uh, uh, other devices, and, and sometimes the war goes low cost, and that, that's the model of, of former Yugoslavia. And I, I think uh, you know Europeans have this idea of war as either you know sort of chivalresque uh, uh, war of ideas, or uh, in which you know you have tanks, and I mean, the very Second World War, if I if I may say. And and the reality is that that that, that war today is, is is no longer like that, and the only people who seem not to have understood it is us, the Europeans. So uh, the the book is, is more of a warning, uh, uh, trying to, to get us to, to understand this reality and to understand that, that, that we are under threat, uh, we as Europeans and, and, and Europe. The, the Europe that we the Europe that we that we have known is a is a very rare construct. It's a uh, it's the result uh, of uh, quite uh, improbable uh, circumstances. And and the reality is that you know this Europe from from Lisbon to Helsinki or from Lisbon to uh, to Vilnius and from from Bucharest to to Dublin is a uh, is, is a unique thing in the in, in the history of a continent that was actually made for for warfare. Uh, we have a pacified continent thanks to the Pax Americana, thanks to the European project, and um, the, the the reality is that uh, you know the, this Pax Americana now is uh, uh, being uh, put into doubt by uh, actors, some internal, some external. Russia and and China are are among them. Uh, it's also put into question by internal forces. I think you know Europeans have uh, are, are are now uh, more divided and 
archipelize. I mean, there's a talk by, by Jérôme Fourquet about the archipelization of uh, uh, the, the French archipelago, but uh, that's something that, that, that goes for all societies in, uh, in Europe. And we, we are in a period of danger, and uh, periods of danger are, are, are periods of opportunity, of course. This is a moment to reform. This is a moment to change. Uh, the question is whether, you know, this old Europe, this old continent that seems to be very satisfied with the way things are, or th ways things have been running, at least for Northern Europe for the past uh, uh, 15, 20 years, whether that continent can, can prepare itself for uh, uh, you know, for a future that is much more dangerous. So, uh, the title of the of the book in English, which is not final, is uh, probably "War in Europe" with a, a question mark, and uh, basically saying that it's, it's a warning. So, uh, it tries to warn uh, uh, people of a uh, who people who want to read the book as uh, of, of an impending danger, with the the hope that you know this danger will be averted, and that in in ten fifteen years we can uh, read this book as a, as a joke or our, as as a, you know something foolish rather than uh, rather than a prophecy. Yes, we do recommend uh, uh, going for the book in English, by uh, which will be released by the end of this year, and. And in French, uh, for uh, francophone uh, listeners of this podcast, um, this is going to be available as of this Friday, uh, June the 4th. Uh, so check uh, Europe Champ de Bataille uh, by Thibaut. And um, yes, thank you, Thibaut, for, for joining our podcast. Um, it was lovely to have you. No, thank you for, for having me. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I'll do it again with pleasure. 